Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast, brought to you by NABPAC, the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. I am your host, Michaela Isler, NABPAC's Executive Director. We have an important show for everyone in the PAC community today, I think, and, and we're really going to focus on some core issues, some facts about PACs that need to be reiterated, and then a best practices conversation with Trey Richardson, the Managing Director of SAJAC Public Affairs on PAC management, issue advocacy, and GOTB efforts. But first, I am joined by Abigail Cave and Adam Belmar. Hey, Michaela. I am very glad to be here with you today. Hey, Michaela. Glad to be here. Well, Adam and Abigail, it has certainly been a sad and tumultuous last several days. How's everybody doing? How are you doing, Adam, in D.C.? Yeah, Michaela, I live and work in downtown Washington on Capitol Hill, just a few blocks from the U.S. Capitol, and there has been persistent presence of helicopters in the last few days. There has been great uncertainty at night, as so many folks in our country are having in their cities. We have been blessed with less violence. Thankfully, the protesters have been able to do peaceably their work. I think I'm feeling a little bit safer today maybe than I have. Well, I saw Adam today, just actually within the hour that uh, DC Mayor Bowser announced that DC will not have a curfew tonight. So I think that's a little bit of good news and a glimmer of hope potentially of things to come. Abigail, how are things out west? Definitely quiet here in Wyoming. We haven't had the unsettledness here that other places have. Our neighbor to the south in Denver, Colorado, they've definitely been navigating these protests and trying to figure out how they're going to change moving forward. Yeah, the uh, the tumult of COVID-19, the shutdown and a move towards reopening has run headlong into all of the upset, violence, looting, rioting that have occurred in places around our country. So we come on the air today, Michaela, in, in a very uncertain time, to be sure. We do. Well, all right, Adam, down to business. Indeed. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business PACs. In every episode, we recap this week's NABPAC activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. And today's episode is sponsored by a firm everyone in the PAC community knows and respects, SAJAC Public Affairs. SAJAC Public Affairs provides high-impact communication, fundraising, market research, and political engagement solutions to corporations, trade associations, and political groups. SAJAC's experience and expertise deliver real results for America's top advocacy organizations. Well, thanks, Adam, for that. And obviously, thank you, SAJAC Public Affairs, for your very generous support, not only on the podcast today, but over the many years that we've been partners over at NABPAC. So even as the world is so uncertain today, we know that in a big election year, there are a lot that we can predict. And we certainly know that there will be focus on money and politics. And that always comes back to employee-funded PACs. And so I think today we want to continue, as we always do in our Facts About PACs podcast, and setting the record straight as it relates to employee-funded PACs. You know, this is a conversation, Michaela, that Facts About PACs was literally made for. When we talk about transparency, some of the exact same issues that we hear at every walk of life, what is really going on and how can we know for sure what the data tells us, this is the predicate for employee-funded PACs, for how we disclose donations in our political system through the FEC. And there are a lot of laws here that keep everything that a PAC does in terms of who it receives its money from to who it disperses it to. And this is true for 
all of the employee funded PACs. And so you can literally see if people are walking the walk and talking the talk. And when we think a little bit about the facts about PACs, we know for sure that PACs help moderate the political discussion. They're how working people actually activate in politics, Michaela. And we're heartened by the fact that right now, as everyone is thinking about how do we be more transparent? How do we show what we really are doing? This is where our election system and the employee-funded PAC community have been living for a very long time. Spot on, Adam. Employee-funded PACs and their programs really do encourage participation in the political process, which actually today we'll be talking a lot about with our guest, Trey Richardson. Really, they educate employees and our constituents about legislation that affects our industries. They encourage Americans to exercise their most important civic duty, which is to vote. And at the end of the day, there's so much confusion out there and, and everyone hears corporate PAC and thinks that the companies are contributing to these candidates. And it's against federal law for corporations to give directly to candidates for federal office. These employee-funded PAC contributions are truly made up of voluntary individual after-tax dollars from employee paychecks. They're voluntarily given, and, and many of whom are their constituents across the country. Absolutely, Michaela. That thing I hear most and respond to most is the discussion about where that money is coming from. And so many people I talk to are under the illusion that it's corporate treasury funds. And I feel like a broken record most of the time when saying, no, these are employees who are giving this voluntarily. This is not coming from the corporate treasury. As we think a little bit more about what the laws in our country are and those that need to be changed, at least to the extent that it can be clearly stated that corporations are not allowed to give directly to candidates for federal office, folks. That is illegal. And it does not happen. And it certainly is not what employee-funded PACs are about, Michaela. No, they aren't. And really and truly, one of the things we hear back from our employees often is that when candidates say that they won't accept the employee-funded PAC money, those constituents hear, my voice is invalid because of where I work. And excluding their voices leaves a group of constituents out of the conversation simply because of the, where they work. I feel very confident that as people get educated about the facts about PACs, and we keep doing this podcast, Michaela, that we can let people know, don't fall victim to the fake news when it comes to elections, that employee-funded PACs, the FEC, and transparency are alive and well and being practiced in this election. Absolutely. And that's really why we began the facts about PAC. Each and every one of us just has to go to our friends or neighbors or even our spouses to talk about what we do, and even they have so much confusion. Uh, let alone the policymakers and those making decisions about the long-term effects of our organizations. So we have a great show today. One of the things we've been talking about on the Facts About PACs podcast is how the PAC has been used to amplify your organization's voice. And as those organizations talk about key issues, uh, really not just during COVID-19, but as we move into the elections and beyond. And so today I'm really pleased to have with us Trey Richardson, as we said earlier, managing partner of Sajak Public Affairs and GR Pro, is known for his creativity. He has influenced political finance, issue advocacy, and engagement activities throughout the United States for more than 30 years. Certainly a leader in the political community for strategy and implementation of impactful political action committee and engagement operations. So Trey, welcome to the Facts About PACs podcast today. Thank you, Michaela. I'm happy to be here. We've been talking a lot lately, particularly in the onset of COVID-19. We knew many PAC managers were not able to understandably go out and solicit their employees for their PAC operations, but 
uh, they really have been able to pivot very quickly and use the PAC as always as really an amplifier of their organization's position on key issues and even their get out the vote efforts. And this week you led a webinar on political engagement communications and we had some great presenters on that webinar talking about their extensive programs that they've built on over many, many years. As you know and have talked about, effective political engagement can take on many forms. And on the webinar, you touched on six steps that you've identified in building an effective political engagement program. I was very fortunate uh, early in my career to lead one of the most robust political operations in the country for the realtors. So I, uh, the foundation that I learned there and we built there is what we, we pursue as, a, as, as endeavors for other organizations. So let's start with simply writing candidate contribution checks. I mean, contributions are important. Think about the fact that, that less than four-tenths of one percent of the population make contributions of $200 in the political process, but that represents 71% of all the money in the, in the, in the in elections. So that's a significant amount of money uh, from a very small group of people. So our, our corporations, our trade associations, and for that matter, other PACs that we may not always agree with, labor unions and, and other types of you know, ideological groups, that's a very small population of people who are actively engaged in the process. But simply writing checks to candidates isn't that impactful. I mean, it creates opportunities for lobbyists to have access, uh, but it's not putting lead on the target to an effect an election. So to be effective, I, I believe in that more of a strategic approach and that and a strategic engagement strategy that, that combines money, issues, and most importantly, people in your process. If you put the money behind a candidate for office, you need to ensure your investment by turning your stakeholders out for that candidate. Uh, if you go bigger, you can add other tactics, but if you don't have the fundamentals of money, a registered voter base and turnout, uh, you, you're not really doing your, in my opinion, doing your job as a political professional for an organization. I think the key components, if you break them down to six areas, are direct contributions, obviously, issue advocacy communications, voter registration, partisan communication, independent expenditures, and get out the vote programs. As we think about issue advocacy and GOTV efforts, those really stand out to me as two great steps for organizations that they can implement now, especially if they don't have big budgets or large advocacy programs in place. Sometimes even implementing just one or two of those six ideas could really feel overwhelming to someone maybe new to the PAC profession or in, with maybe a smaller advocacy program. Based on your experience, how can someone get started on developing a plan quickly and without a large expense? We did a recent study that found that 70% of our association corporation members have less than $50,000 to spend on their political engagement activities. That being said, you, know, you can implement issue advocacy and GOTV relatively sim simply particularly among your employees and members. I mean, email, social media, and even postcards can be used to find a candidate, define issues, uh, regardless. So if you start with the assumption that every direct email you send or every text you send for online marketing costs about a nickel, and every postcard, if you were to send direct mail, let's say every postcard costs 55 cents to deliver it to a door, and then you throw in a voter registration or a GeoTV portal of some sort for a couple thousand dollars, you have all the basics you need, and then you can reach over 60 to 70,000 people multiple times, all for under $50,000 budget. It's not a great expense for many of these organizations. Given the COVID-19 and voter safety concerns that many voters have right now, as we heard from Joe Good last week, providing voter safety guides seems like a really great way to engage employees in the process and address the concerns they have. 
Do you have any recommendations on resources or tools that organizations can use to utilize for gathering state-by-state information that's easily accessible? Voter registration resources are abundant. I mean, there are numerous uh, providers out there in the marketplace uh, collectively providing the, the voter registration resources. Uh, many, you, many of our corporate and association members uh, use voter registration and GOTV portals from other NAPAC members, from our NAPAC vendors. Uh, Groups like uh, Fund to Action and Fiscal Note both offer these services, or Voter Voice both offer these services to our membership. Uh, these are great and inexpensive tools to, to create a clearinghouse for this type of information. If you don't have the resources to buy a portal or something like that though, I mean, frankly, you can easily put up a page on your own website or send out emails to your, uh, to your constituents uh, with links to key Secretary of State's offices. Every Secretary of State's office in the country and election board has information about not just voter registration, but absentee balloting, as well as, uh, as polling locations. And, and are all, uh, everyone I've been looking at lately, because we're in campaigns all over the country right now, every uh, site I've seen lately has a voter safety guide appended to the Secretary of State's site on how their state's citizens can, can engage in elections safely uh, without fear of, of getting sick or, or, or being in, in danger. Thanks, Jay. Those are great suggestions. I'll point out to our members that under our coronavirus resource page, we've had members submit some of their examples of those. So you should definitely go check those out if you're looking for that. We've got five months until the election, and I think it's important to point out that many of the larger and more sophisticated engagement programs have taken years to build, but we all have to start somewhere. What is your best advice on how to build those programs over time? Obviously, start with the PAC contribution to your congressional champions or candidates who could become congressional champions. Max out to those in tough races and even create uh, direct giving programs through your executives. There's one, uh, one association I know of raises, I say only, but raises about 250000 a cycle for its PAC. Uh, but they, they direct over $4 million in, in direct giving programs to, other, to members of Congress through, through, uh, from their executives and their other employees of the company. I think that's the first step, is create the platform of, of financial support for a candidate. Secondly, get your people registered to vote. Uh, only 66% of registered voters ever go to the polls. So as such, getting your people registered and turning them out in a geo, some sort of GOTV effort is paramount and actually makes a difference. If you consider that in a, in a congressional campaign uh, in any House district in the country, for example, we might target 20 to 40,000 registered voters in a primary for a candidate. Well, if you have employees or members in the district, let's say you have a facility in that district with 2,000 employees or, 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 or a, an association with 2,000 members, well, obviously that's 10% of that, pop, that voter turnout population in that district to affect a primary election. You can really swing an election with your constituents. As you move on, move into more issue advocacy activities, educating not only your constituents, but also the public as well and voters on your issues. So some of the things we've seen in polling recently for campaigns, I mean, right now, healthcare, diversity, obviously, because of everything that's going on, the economy, going back to work are, are all in vogue. Uh, with different blocks of voters. So, you know, if you have a message or an issue that fits into one of those blocks, talk about it. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money to do this communication. You know, social media, earned media communications on the like can, do, can get your message out there cheaply about what the issues are. And the issues set the narrative for a campaign. So then, you, then as you build upon your issue base, then you move into things like partisan communication, which is a term of art uh, that, that means basically communicating with your own stakeholders, your own constituents, to go vote for or vote against somebody. This echo chamber effect 
uh, of, of communicating with your own people is very valuable because it not only educates your constituency about issues and the candidates, it also encourages them to turn out to vote for the candidate. Uh, and we can actually see swings of five or 10% in elections as a result in some, some races around the country. And then lastly, I think uh, as we move on, you know, if you have real money to spend, uh, you know, I consider independent expenditures, which are much broader, all go to the general public. They're not only targeted to restricted class. Some organizations only do IEs for their own members who are running for office. Some organizations uh, target several races for champions of their industry, but they use direct mail, broadcast channels like television, cable, satellite, social media, and radio are all viable options in that environment. But they're obviously, these are, these are all issues you must have uh, clear legal guidance on as you move into those processes. But going back to your initial question, I think the first step, make contributions, build a financial base, get your people registered and turn them out. And everything else can be built upon that. Thanks, Train. I know over the years, you, you are a data guy. And, you know, running a pack, there's a lot of data points that we can use to track our success. And I have to say with each program that I implemented when running packs and tracking responses, open rates, page views, length of page views, the number of grassroots letters sent, number of voice patch throughs to elected officials, and on and on. I was able to utilize that data to build my program over time with every success we highlighted with the GR team, the PAC board, senior executives to really drive home the point that our employees wanted this information and, and it was in the data. There was no arguing that. And so over time, the political engagement programs and resources were really viewed as an HR benefit of being an employee of our company. And it really became almost expected. And we began to even highlight our programs in our new employee packets. And so the data analytics have come so far in recent years. What are your thoughts on using data to build the case for doing more year over year? Our philosophy is that you can't manage what you can't measure. So measure everything. And then you can manage everything. Data files, market segmentations, micro-targeting, all these things that allow you to effectively measure things like your response rates. And response rates are how you prove that you actually put what I call lead on target for an election or for your organization. Did you get more people to the polls? Did more people give money? No one in leadership, frankly, is gonna pay for a program that doesn't have proven outcomes, or at least they're not gonna pay for it for very long. So <laughs> uh, data is very valuable and very important to, I think, to long-term success of your programs. Uh, before we implement any program, we have a plan, we have measurable goals, we have objectives, we have schedules, and by doing so, we have targets to meet or exceed. And then uh, for, for all of our clients, at least, we create dashboards, analytic dashboards, they can see every uh, empirical data point for their campaign, whether that be a fundraising campaign or a communications and outreach campaign. They can see it in real time, what's happening, uh, how many people did what, and then they can take that data and go back to leadership with here is the, the, the here are the genuine results, and it's, again, empirical data that cannot be argued with. Uh, so whether it be a call to action, fundraising, voter registration, you know, measure every single outcome against your initial goals, and this is why uh, you can be successful over the long haul. So as we wrap up today, I think that the key takeaways really are that you don't have to have a lot of money and you don't have to have a large program to be effective. There are some really easy ways to talk to your employees about the issues of importance, to get your employees and organizations registered to vote. I think as we've heard on previous webinar with Joe Good with American Strategies, it's going to be critically important to be educating our employees and members about absentee balloting and voter safety. We saw this week with the primaries, some of the suspicions that we had been feeling over the last couple of weeks about 
were the states prepared? Did mail-in ballots get received? And there were so many folks that have said they requested mail-in ballots back in March and April and never received them. So there was a much larger turnout on election day than some of the polling places were anticipating. And with fewer poll workers, it just really created, um, from what it sounds like, some really kind of mass confusion at the polls on Tuesday. So I think there's going to be a lot of educating that we need to do with our employees between now and November uh, to get them prepared for Election Day. So with that, I just want to thank you, Trey, for not only being our guest today and and helping with the webinar this week, but also for your support of NABPAC and sponsoring today's episode. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. So thank you to all of our NAPAC listeners and everyone who finds this show valuable. As ever, we want everyone to know the facts about PACs. Until next week, stay safe, stay engaged, and keep moving forward.